Welcome to the Elisa Childers podcast, where we equip Christians to identify the core beliefs of historic Christianity, discern its counterfeits, and proclaim the gospel with clarity, kindness, and truth. And today's episode is all about Proverbs. This is such a great conversation that I had with my friend Jeannie Jones, who just came out with a new Bible study called Discovering Wisdom in Proverbs. And one thing I love about Jeannie's studies that she writes along with her friends Pam Farrell and Carla Dornucker is that it is it's very beautiful, of course. There's there's even places that if you're the kind of person that likes to color things in, there's little thing, pictures and things you can color. And there's really good life application and devotional content, but there's a lot of really great apologetics content in these Bible studies as well. And so today, some of the highlights of my conversation with Jeannie is we talked through some of the pushback that we get from skeptics against the Proverbs, like seeming contradictions, things like where in Proverbs it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but 1 John 4.18 says, perfect love casts out all fear. So which is it? Are we supposed to fear God or does perfect love cast out all fear? So we discussed that one. That was a highlight for me. Another highlight is talking about the Proverbs 31 woman. This is an ideal that a lot of women find kind of discouraging. The Proverbs 31 woman seems to have it all together. She does all the things and makes us all just feel like we're not doing enough. So Jeannie talked about that and addressed that. That was a highlight for me. And we talk about Jephthah, who is an Old Testament character who vowed to sacrifice his virgin daughter to the Lord. And then in Hebrews, it calls Jephthah uh, somebody who had a lot of faith, whereas Jeannie in her book puts Jephthah in the category of the simple. In other words, somebody who wasn't wise. I let her explain that. And so it's just a packed episode with a lot of great stuff. We even talked about what Proverbs has to say about politics and sexuality, what it has to say with how we handle our money, how we raise our kids, and how we relate with one another in relationships. So this is just a packed episode. Very excited to uh, let you hear the conversation that I just had with Jeannie Jones. All right. Well, Jeannie, so glad to have you back on the podcast. I think this is your first time coming on via video because you've come come on a couple of times in the past before we were on YouTube. And I just love your mind. I love what you produce. You've just come out with this beautiful Bible study called Discovering Wisdom in Proverbs. I already shared with you, I'm pretty sure this is going to be what my 14-year-old does for her Bible class for homeschool next year, because I think these Bible studies are amazing. And of course, it's written by you and your friends, Pam Farrell and Carla Dornacker. Did I say that right? Dornacker? Yes. Okay. Awesome. Dornacker, yeah. So for, okay, for anybody who maybe didn't catch those early episodes, tell us, first of all, just about the discovering Bible studies in general, like these are very unique oh, sure. and I love them. So tell us about how they, how they're laid out and all of that stuff. Sure. Well, the discovering series got started. I was writing Bible studies for churches, for my churches usually. And, um, at my church, the pastor's wife who led the teaching has published before. And when she was doing one of the studies, she says, you've got to get these published. So I called my friend Pam and said, Pam, I've got a study and I'm thinking about getting it published. And I would like to get your opinion. Can I pay you to read it and let me know what I need to do to get it ready? And she read it and immediately called her publisher and said, we've got to do this. And so they got on the phone. They said, you don't have a an audience. You don't have much on social media or anything. So we're going to need you to team up with Pam 
because she's a great marketer, and with Carla, who is uh, an illustrator who does really, really uh, wonderful illustrations. So the way that we put it together is I write the Bible study portion. So it's an in-depth Bible study with questions that guide readers into understanding what the scripture says and, and gives them just enough background. Then I have sidebars for people who've been Christians a long time so that they can uh, dive in deeper. But those who are new to Bible study or who are just short on time can skip the sidebars if they need to. And then Pam writes a here's how to do it, a devotional for each chapter. And Carla writes something about applying scripture creatively to get it more into your heart. The scripture mm. talks a lot about the importance of meditating on God's word. And so she uses a creative means. She draws scripture verses, verses that she's put together with illustrations so that people can uh, Yes, just like that one. So that people can color them if they'd like while repeating the verse. And it makes it really easy to just memorize it then without even trying to memorize it. Just because you're coloring it and you're using so many of your senses, you end up memorizing it. The creative aspects are all optional. Oh, Carla also does a short devotional too that goes with each chapter. So that's how we put it together. We started with discovering hope in the Psalms. And uh, there's now five books out. So that is so fabulous. Tell, tell us all the ones that are available. I know we talked with you on the podcast about Psalms. What else uh, yes, is there? Discovering Hope in the Psalms. Number two is Discovering Joy in Philippians. Number three is Discovering Jesus in the Old Testament. And we talked about that one. That's right. Number four is Discovering Good News in John, which has my testimony because I came to Christ reading the book of John. And then now number five is Discovering Wisdom in Proverbs. Oh, I'm so excited to talk about them, Proverbs. Yes, every one of them has something related to apologetics in it. Yes. I get it in there somewhere. <laughs> yes, you do, because that's really your heart. You are a brilliant apologist. And I am very oh, excited you. to talk with you today about Proverbs because I have always loved Proverbs. In fact, Proverbs was the first book of the Bible I read on my own as a young child. Really? Absolutely. I have my Bible from when I was maybe nine. Uh, I remember asking my mom, okay, I want to read the Bible for myself. Where should I start? And she said, start in Proverbs. And I, my little book of Proverbs in my living Bible from when I was nine years old is highlighted. I have notes. I have things underlined. And so I've always had a, an affection for Proverbs. Now, I learned something from you just before we went on the air because I mentioned to you that my, my daughter's going to do this for her homeschool. And you said, well, that's good because Proverbs was actually written for teenagers. I did not know that. I would love you to talk more about good, that. Good and maybe. Questions. Good portions. Okay. So I'd love for you to talk about that. And then also just give us a general overview of Proverbs. What, what kind of a book is it? How should we be reading it? What's the general approach? You bet. Yes. A good, there's seven different collections in Proverbs. And the first collection is definitely aimed at teenagers. It's a father talking to his son and saying, these are the things you need to know in order to be successful in life. And uh, some of the other collections are for uh, people that are older, but all of it is good for uh, for kids, all of it. Clay and I started reading Proverbs when we were in high school, reading it a chapter a day according to the day number. And it was so insightful because neither of us was raised in a Christian home. Mm. And so we felt like, my goodness, we're learning all of these fantastic 
uh, nuggets on how on how just to live. We didn't know any of these things. The um, the the book of Proverbs is a uh, collection of proverbs, which are general truisms. Now that messes people up sometimes. When mm -hmm. I first read Proverbs, I was used to Aesop's fables, and I knew that Aesop's fables were general truisms, not things that always happen. And I loved Aesop's fables as, as a child. When I started reading Proverbs, though, I thought, well, if the Bible is the word of God and it's inerrant, does that mean that uh, the Proverbs have to be read as absolute promises? And they're not. They are general truisms. They're short little sayings that make it easy um, to remember something important. For instance, one of the Proverbs says, when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. But we know for sure that Jesus's ways please the Lord 100%, but his enemies kill them. So they're general truisms. They're not absolute. Uh, this is the way it is. And the various Proverbs have nuances that each of them fill in for other details with each other. Uh, so you, you want to read all of them mm -hmm. to get the fuller picture. Right. And, you know, honestly, Jeannie, this is something I didn't really know until I took a seminary class at Southern Evangelical Seminary and learned that Proverbs are not actual promises for each person, you know, because I think we, that's something I think a lot of Christians maybe don't realize is that you'll, you're going to read something in Proverbs like, um, train up a child in the way they should go, and when they're old, they will not depart from it. And that many parents take that as a promise that their kids will end up saved because if they do this, th oh, yeah. this and that, this will happen. Well, it's actually more like, you know, an apple a day keeps the doctor away. Well, that's not technically the way it works, right? If you eat an apple every day, you're probably still going to have to go to the doctor. But the point of it is a general principle of wisdom saying, you know, if you eat healthy, if you take care of yourself, you're probably not going to get sick a lot and have to end up going to the doctor. And I learned that I yeah. didn't realize that the Proverbs were really more like the general principles of wisdom. Right, right. On the train up a child in the way you should go, one time I was leading a, a small group and I had a brand new co-leader. She was in her early 20s, just out of college, and uh, this was her first time to be in any kind of leadership role in a, in a church women's group. And we had our first meeting, and we were talking about what we were going to do. And uh, I asked the gals if they had any prayer requests that we could pray for each other over uh, the, the week. And uh, one of the moms spoke up, and she's talked about having a really rebellious son and wanted uh, prayer over over uh, him and uh, what to do about it. And my co-leader says, train up a child in the way you should go. And when he's old, he won't depart from it. And I said, okay, you know, there are a lot of interpretations for that particular verse, but that it's a promise that children will never <laughs> rebel or disobey uh, if you're a good parent is not one of the ones. Right. That's, <laughs> that's not valid. a viable interpretation, oh. right? No, it is not. It is not. Uh, and uh, the one about uh, some people do think it's a promise that their children will be saved uh, no matter what. And that that's not so either, because Jesus hadn't even been born yet, of course, when, when Proverbs was written. Um, well, one po really popular interpretation is that train up a child in the way he should go would be, you know, according to his gifts. And that one's really popular, but probably the, the one that fits best with the rest of Proverbs is just if you train a child in the way of wisdom, 
some of that's going to stick with him, at least some yeah. of it. And he's not going to depart with, uh, away from it. So, yeah, yeah, but it's not, it's not a verse that beats people up if their children are rebellious, not right. at all. In fact, yeah. there's so many scriptures in so many Proverbs even that talk about the grief that comes to godly parents when their children rebel. Yeah. Well, um, as I mentioned, I read through Proverbs as a young child, and I yeah. started to use it in my everyday life. So I'm, I'm going to share a story, and then we're going to get to some of the apologetics angles on Proverbs, because Proverbs is a gold is seems to be like a gold mine for skeptics. They they claim all sorts of contradictions and things. We're going to talk through some of those. But one way that I misused Proverbs as a young child was when I was in a fight with my older sister, and she got mad at me, and I said, Kristen, a soft answer turns away wrath, but harsh words stir up anger. And to my utter shock and surprise, she got more angry, and I said it again. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And she got so mad at me, and she started yelling, and I was like, this is not working. And of course, I realized that's not exactly what it's talking about. I was actually irritating her with platitudes. But um, yeah, that was my one little Proverbs fail that I'll, I'll share with everybody. So, oh, all right. Gosh. what? First of all, before we get into some of the apologetic stuff, why did you want to write this book? Because I love Proverbs so much. It was so meaningful to me growing up when Clay and I were reading the same verse uh, or the same chapter every morning and then getting together at high school and uh, talking to each other about what we learned. It was so meaningful. The verse that you just quoted was one of my favorite verses. We started dating on December 15th. And so since we were reading a chapter a day, on the 15th of every month, we'd have our anniversary. And the very first verse, Proverbs 15.1, was a soft answer turns away wrath. Now, but a harsh word serves up anger. Now, my family, yelled constantly. There was yelling mm. and screaming every day. And so that was a totally new concept to me. And I mm. knew I needed to really, really work on that. So that was that has always been one of my favorite verses as something that I needed to work on uh, really, really hard. And God has done a lot to change that and to help me to become softer, which has been a really, really good thing. But yeah, it's a famous, mm. a very favorite, favorite verse for me. I love that. Now, there's some overlap with Proverbs. This is also something I learned uh, at SES, that there is some overlap with certain Proverbs and then certain Proverbs that we find in other ancient Near Eastern uh, writings. So Absolutely. when I first heard that, it was a little rattling to me because I thought, well, there's there's a lot of similarities there. Did we copy them? Or, you know, how might you approach that question if somebody were to come and say, hey, you know, Proverbs are just copied from pagan stuff? The um, two of the collections in the Bible say right on them, these are collections from yeah. wise men or 30 sayings of the wise. Solomon was, was straightforward about saying, yeah, I collected these from other people. And I'll, some of the Proverbs he took and he changed them to uh, make them fit with the one true God rather than be something about another God. But yeah, certainly the, the, there's a lot of wisdom yeah. out in the world and you know a penny saved is a penny earned that's not in the bible but it's it's a it's a good proverb and yeah. it's a valid one and then uh chapter 30 is uh written by a, a jewish convert named agur 
And then uh, chapter 31 is written by a non-Jewish king and his mother, King uh, Lemuel, yeah, and his mother. Uh, but yeah, parts of Proverbs are all different people. Right. And it wouldn't necessarily uh, demean the inspiration of Scripture if the Holy Spirit no. superintended that process and led Solomon to collect these things and adjust them. Um, yeah, that that was something that, you know, people can kind of twist things and rattle you for a moment, but it's just good for Christians to know that. That And again, I, I yeah. love that he just outright says it right there. All right, let's talk through some of what skeptics might say about some of the Proverbs. So Proverbs 9.10 I'm going to put you in the hot seat here, Jeannie. So Proverbs 9, 10 <laughs> says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, some Christians are confused by this. Maybe even some skeptics might claim that it contradicts 1 John 4, 18. And so 1 John 4, 18 says, perfect love casts out all fear. So how do we harmonize this? How does this make sense within itself if we know perfect love casts out fear, but then Proverbs tells us that to even begin to have wisdom, you have to fear the Lord. Right. We've got two different kinds of fear here. That um, We've got the uh, fear of the Lord that says, oh, I know that God is the creator. And as creator, he has the right to instruct me on the way I should go. And he has the right to um, uh, bring consequences if necessary. Uh, but one of the things in both the Old and New Testament is both of them uh, talk about the importance of the fear of the Lord, but there's two different kinds. I read a fascinating book while I was researching this. It's by Mary Cassian, it's, and it's called The Right Kind of Confident. And she defines fear, the basic uh, component of fear, as just simply being uh, in the presence of something that is bigger and more powerful than we are and which we can't control. So that's the basic component there. And then she said, apprehensive fear is when we go, and it's likely to harm me. Hmm. Uh, that's the second one. Whoops, that's the first one. The uh, second one is um, a regarding fear that where I now I need to, or respectful fear, I'm in the presence of the CEO of my company or whatever. And so he's got the power to fire me. So I need to be really respectful. And then reverential fear, which says, I'm in the presence of the great and holy God, and I owe him worship and reverence. So when uh, John is writing about perfect love casting out fear, it's casting out the apprehensive fear, mm. the, the, the fear that goes, oh, you know, uh, have I really been forgiven of my sins? And am I going to be um, uh, condemned to go to hell because I, I, I still sin? And John, in his letter, is giving all of the reasons on why we can have confidence in our uh, salvation. And he says, if you know the Lord, then perfect love should be casting out that apprehensive fear. And mm. you should be having only then the uh, reverential uh, awe of God. Mm. But so, yeah, that people do ask about that often. And what about if we know that the the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom? What does that mean for if we might be talking with somebody who doesn't fear the Lord, who isn't a Christian? Like, should we not seek counsel from people who are not Christians because they don't fear the Lord? So, how does that work together for you? 
Ah, well, it depends on whether I'm buying a car or seeking marital counseling. (laughs) (laughs) If I'm buying a car, I just want to find somebody who really knows cars, and the Bible doesn't speak to that. But when it comes to uh, marriage counseling, especially, or any kind of relationship counseling or any spiritual counseling, we need to get that counsel from somebody who actually fears the Lord who actually reads their Bible. I've, I was at a church once where the church counselor um, believed all roads lead to God. There is no uh, absolute mm. truth. And he totally disagreed with the things that the Bible said about marriage. And even though he identified himself as a Christian counselor, he wouldn't be what I call a Christian counselor. If, if I'm going to get counseling on something that has to do with anything spiritual or relationships, that's those are subjects that the Bible speaks to. And I want to make sure that the person that I'm getting counsel from actually fears the Lord and actually believes the Bible as being uh, the word of God. Yeah, very good. Okay, so here's another one. Proverbs 19.3 says, when a man's folly brings his way to ruin, his heart rages against the Lord. So why is it important to recognize that when we're talking to people about why God allows disasters and like hurricanes and floods, um, why is it important to understand the context of Proverbs 19.3, which says, you know, it's a man's folly that brings his way to ruin and his heart rages against the Lord? Yeah. Uh, A lot of times, especially uh, you remember in Hurricane Katrina, a lot of people were going, how could God allow this? How could God allow that? Well, we built a city below sea level and put walls around it that could withstand categories one, two, and three hurricanes when we knew that categories four and five exist. That was a not very smart thing to do. It wasn't a good place to to build a city. Here in California, we're still handing out um, permits to build houses in known fire lanes. We have fires all the time. That's a natural part of California's uh, geography. We shouldn't be building homes in the fire paths where we know where they are, but it happens all the time. And then people want to know why that happened. Um, I, I talked to a, a young gal once in her 20s, and uh, she came to me and said, I don't understand why God allowed me to get pregnant when I'm not married. And it's like, you made a mistake. I talked to another uh, man who told me when he was a young man just starting out in, in his business, uh, he was raging against God all the time because he knew he was doing his processes correctly and God was just you know, causing things not to work for him. And he was cussing God out. Uh, later he found out he was using the wrong temperature, but he was blaming everything on God instead of going back and saying, am I doing something wrong? Am I making a mistake here? Uh, Bill O'Reilly, when he got fired over these uh, sexual harassment lawsuits that were brought uh, against him and and the Fox News, he said that he was blaming God for that. He said he was mad at God for that. It's a very important thing to realize we have to take responsibilities for the things that we do mm. um, that 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 bring on uh, problems that that needn't have been brought there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's such a profound proverb, too. Um, yeah. 
when a man's folly brings his way to ruin, his heart rages against the Lord. Boy, if, if that's not a general principle or a general truism, I don't know what is because we see it. We do. We see it all the time where people yeah. do things that bring their way to ruin and then they get mad at God for it. I think that's, I mean, it's a very profound proverb in that sense, isn't it? Yes. Okay. Let's see. Let's do another one here. Um Paul wrote, okay, it, here's a good one. Paul wrote in Romans 3.30 that no one is righteous. In fact, the Bible is filled with pointing out the deceitfulness of our own hearts and things like this. But Proverbs actually refers to some people as righteous. So do you see that as, I know you don't see it as a contradiction, but what might you <laughs> say to somebody if they said, hey, that's really a contradiction right there? I hope you're enjoying the conversation I'm having with Jeannie Jones about her new Bible study, Discovering Wisdom in Proverbs. I want to take just a moment and let you know about one of today's sponsors, which is Good Ranchers, American meat delivered right to your door. In our home, almost all the meat that we make on a daily basis comes from Good Ranchers. And that's because, A, I love the company. I love the high integrity uh, and the Christian values that stand behind the company. I also love just the high quality meat that you get from Good Ranchers. We're talking no antibiotics, no hormones. The chicken that you buy from Good Ranchers actually has higher quality standards than the organic chicken that you buy in the store. The beef is all grass-fed, pastured. We just absolutely love it. And I don't know if you've heard, but the FDA has just recently approved lab-grown chicken. So chicken that's actually grown in a bioreactor is going to be available soon at a store near you. If you're anything like me, that sounds like a terrible idea. I prefer real meat, American meat that's raised in America and harvested in America. And this is just the highest quality meat that you can get. So go to GoodRanchers.com. Use the code ALISA to get $30 off your first box. Again, that's GoodRanchers.com. And use the code ALISA to get $30 off your first box. Right. Yeah, Paul was actually quoting the Old Testament when he said, there is no one who is right, righteous. Both the Old and, uh, and New Testament say that uh, no person is totally sinless. No person is righteous in the sense that they uh, have never committed a sin. And that's why we all need a, a savior. Uh, but both the Old and the New Testament say that if someone loves God and puts their trust and faith in God, that God will then bestow righteousness on them as righteous standing. Mm. And that's what Proverbs is talking about. People who love God, have faith in God, and try to follow his ways. And when they err, they confess it and uh, ask for forgiveness. And in Solomon's day, that meant going to the temple and offering a, 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 a guilt sacrifice uh, to receive uh, forgiveness. Now we accept Jesus as Lord, and then we pray and ask, just pray and ask for forgiveness. Um, but yeah, that's not that's not a contradiction. The the differences between righteous standing and righteous living. Righteous standing is what theologians call justification, and righteous standing is what God puts on people and gives people as a gift when they have faith in Him, trust in Him, and love Him. Righteous living is what theologians call sanctification. And that's the process of becoming more and more God-like. Righteous living never ever leads to righteous standing because 
nobody is sinless and uh, if we don't have righteous standing, we don't love God. So we break the greatest command, <laughs> loving God with all our heart, soul, and strength and mind. Almost forget that one. Mm -hmm. um, righteous standing, though, always leads to righteous living because the person who loves God and has faith in him believes that the creator knows what he's talking about when he says this is the best way to live if you want to have a blessed life and so works to uh, try to obey god try to see what it is that god says needs to be done and also has the holy spirit working them to make them more godlike so yeah paul's yeah. talking about yeah no no one being absolutely sinless and right. proverbs is talking about those who've received righteous standing because and i think this is why faith I... in god it's so important, I think, too, that this just kind of brings out why it's so important to consider the entire counsel of Scripture to, to interpret yeah. script, like letting Scripture interpret itself, because we we obviously know from Scripture that, yes, we're sinful, our hearts are deceitful and wicked. We we know all of those verses that talk about us being by nature uh, children of wrath, and, and there's no one righteous, no one does good, not even one. But yet we know that we do have that righteousness imputed on us when we are in Christ. And so it's it, I like how you put that. It's the standing before God. And then, of course, that leads to in the process of our sanctification where we become more and more like Christ every day, we begin to do more and more righteous deeds and uh, until we're face to face and, and we're free of that, you know, entirely, which I really look forward to <laughs> when we're with the yeah. Lord. I really look forward <laughs> yeah, to that. Yeah, that'll be good. Yes. Um, so there's, there's a lot of sort of, I guess, modern proverbs that a lot of people think are in the Bible that are not like the ones that are coming to my mind are cleanliness is next to godliness. In fact, my husband and I were just talking about that one yesterday. And I, I he mentioned it like, yeah, that's in the Bible. I'm like, I don't think that's in the Bible. And I think he was joking in the first place, but we had a good laugh. But yeah. there's also things like um, God helps those who help themselves. But actually, Proverbs right. would refute that, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that one, uh, where was that one? That was a Greek uh, proverb originally, and it was the mm. gods help those who help themselves. Yeah. But okay, oh, interesting. Bible. Not no. in the Bible. God, about, helps, God, helps, God helps those who pray to him and ask for help. He loves helping That's uh, right. those who love him. Yeah. And then another one would be, uh, I hear this a lot too. I've probably used this one, although I know it's not in the Bible, but <laughs> it's easier to ask forgiveness than to get permission which is kind of sneaky. And I feel yes. like the Proverbs would have something to say about that one too. Yes, some people, I have actually known people who take that so far that they say, I just do what I want and then ask God for forgiveness. Um, if anybody said, if you're a Christian, I'm going to shoot you. I just say, no, I'm not. And I'll just ask for forgiveness later. Oh, I have, I, I felt like having an affair, I'll just ask God for forgiveness later. I can do anything I want. Um, but the Proverbs say, uh, nope, God God wants obedience more than sacrifice. Sacrifice being the, the means of uh, asking for forgiveness in those days. And that's that's a, um, a reflection of the story back in 1 Samuel too, when uh, the young uh, King Saul was uh, disobeying the prophet and when uh, Samuel told him to wait for him, and he didn't, and he started offering sacrifices to get God's favor. And, and, uh, and Samuel said, no, God's going to rip the kingdom away from your hands now because you didn't obey him. And what he wants is not sacrifices. He wants 
obedience. The sacrifices are meant to be a place of saying, well, I'm really sorry. I, I'm going to try not to do that again. It's not, hey, uh, I'm going to live like I please. I'm going to do anything I want. And then I'll just after offer sacrifices and God right. will just forgive me. In fact, in the book of Jeremiah, that's um, one, of, one of the uh, words that came to Jeremiah was that uh, God said through him, you choose now have made my temple like a den of robbers because mm. you go out, you do what you want, you steal, you lie, you even murder. And then you come and say, oh, here's my sacrifice. Now God has to forgive me. And that's just not the case because that's somebody that that does not have a right heart before God. So mm. they're not going to receive uh, forgiveness for that. Yeah. Uh, so in your book, you mentioned Jephthah. Now, this is something that I'm very interested in, the story of Jephthah. And if anyone's unfamiliar, in fact, Jeannie, when I was in my progressive class, I guess, whatever you want to call it, that I ended up yes. writing another gospel about, um, where all of the things that I believe were challenged, I remember specifically the pastor bringing up the story of Jephthah and uh, saying basically oh. to all of us, like, so are you guys cool with this? Like, everybody's okay with this guy sacrificing his daughter? And I remember being really rattled by that because I hadn't remembered the story. I'm sure I had read it because I'd read the whole Bible by that point, but I did not remember it. And I was so rattled. I didn't know what to say. So in my when God was restabilizing me and I was kind of going back through all my theology, I went, I dove into this story quite a bit. And, um, and you mentioned this in your book too. So let me just familiarize our audience with the story in case they don't know about it, because in your book, I think, uh, you call, you put Jephthah in the category of the simple. Um, whereas in Hebrews eleven thirty two, one of the things that kind of messes people up is that Jephthah, well, I'll tell you the story in a second for the viewers and listeners who are un unfamiliar, but Hebrews 11.32 actually puts him in the what they call the Hebrews Hall of Heroes, the list of faithful people, and yet you put him in the category of the simple. So I want you to explain that a little bit, but let me just give a little overview. So um, this was when the Ammonites had declared war on Israel, and the elders begged Jephthah to fight for them and to be their leader. So before going out into battle, the, even in, in the text, it says the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah so that he passed through uh, Mizpah of Gilead, and, and then he makes this vow to God. And he says, if you, this is what, this is Jephthah's vow to God. So he says, if you will indeed give the sons of Ammon into my hand, then it shall be that whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the sons of Ammon, it shall be the Lord's and I will offer it up as a burnt offering. I'm not sure which translation I used there, but that's that's the vow. And then the Bible goes on to record that the Lord gave the Ammonites into Jephthah's hand. And so Israel won the victory. And when Jephthah got home, his only child, a virgin daughter, came out to meet him. And he tore his clothes in anguish and said that he couldn't take back his vow. And so she went into the mountains to mourn her virginity. And after two months, she returned. And the Bible words it like this. He did to her according to the vow which he had made. Um, and she had no relations with a man. Now, there's a couple of possible interpretations to that. Um, but, you know, for those who who would say that he actually sacrificed her as a burnt offering, you know, and yet you put him in the category of the simple, how you work that out? Yeah. Uh, Hebrews does tell us that he was uh, a man of faith. He went to battle in faith. But he also tried to manipulate God by uh, saying, hey, whatever comes out of my house, I'll sacrifice. Now, in those times, homes had enclosed 
courtyards and that's where they kept their animals. So he probably thought, you know, an animal would be coming out or whatever. But there was a possibility that a human might have come out. In the Canaanite uh, land, which the land was the Canaanites before the, the Jews moved there, um, human sacrifice was fairly common. And especially if you were going to battle, uh, people would sacrifice their children. It was really a, a terrible, terrible thing. But the thing is, so, so Jephthah was a man of faith, but he was not a man of wisdom. He was not mm -hmm. a man of wisdom. The scripture tells us that everybody starts out as simple, or the book of Proverbs tells us. We all start out as simple, as children, and we're simple. And then as we learn God's ways, as we learn God's commands, we then become more wise and as we follow them and as we walk in the ways of wisdom what jephthah didn't do is he didn't consult the word of god he did not consult a priest who would have told him number one human sacrifice was 100 percent forbidden it was a major sin so we never should have vowed that but number two when it came to uh dedicating um an animal or uh, even a, a son as a dedication to serving the, the in the temple or, or whatever, they were permitted to redeem by a, by a um, monetary uh, sacrifice instead. That was entirely permitted. And a priest could have told them that, but mm. he didn't seek out what the law actually said. He didn't seek out what the law said. So he did something very, very foolish. They, um, in the, in the book of judges, a lot of people were living whatever way they wanted to, because there wasn't a king. So they had these judges that would come in and settle disputes. And Jephthah is a uh, picture of somebody who is just stayed simple. He didn't, he didn't learn what he needed to learn. And there's others. Abimelech is a, uh, picture of somebody who's a fool, a wicked fool. He murdered all his brothers so that he could be the ruler. And Deborah is a picture of somebody who is just very, very wise, very, she was a prophetess who mm -hmm. uh, was very good at settling disputes and uh, is a wonderful picture of somebody who's very, very wise. Very good. Um, okay. So it's, I think Proverbs kind of gets into all different areas. It's it it's talks even yeah. hits on what you're gonna how you're gonna vote politics. It hits on sexuality. Let's go to politics first, though. Um, you know, of course, there's so much argument, so much debate over what's the right way to handle uh, poverty, how we deal with it in our in our culture. Politicians are arguing about these things. Um, what does Proverbs have to have to say about that topic? Oh, yeah, it, uh, so much. When um, I couldn't have children, so we took in foster kids. One of the foster kids told me um, that her mother would take them out to the street corner and beg for money. And lots of people would give her money because she'd say, hey, I, I need uh, money to feed my kids. Look, here are my kids. You, you, you need to give them money. And then after she got enough money for the day, she'd laugh and she'd say, uh, all those people are stupid fools because they work all day long and I get their money and I don't, I don't have to work. <laughs> wow. That really adjusted my thinking on uh, different, on, on the whole topic. But one of the things that Proverbs says is that you give money to help the poor and the needy and those who need it but you don't give money to help the sluggard, the lazy per mm. person. The, uh, the, uh, the uh, law, the command, 
everybody to have a home and then to have fields where they could work. And it commanded everybody to leave the edges of their fields uh, unharvested so that the poor could get out there and get it, could harvest all the edges of the field so they'd be taken care of. So there's lots and lots of um, laws that talk about the importance of taking care of, of the poor, but not the lazy, that the lazy yeah. person, it's like, if you're not going to go out and glean, if you're not going to go out and um, work, work your land. Yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. Then you, you, you don't get to eat. We don't, we don't feed you then. Yeah. yeah. And Paul quotes that quotes the same principle in, in uh, one of his letters to the Thessalonians, he said, if anybody won't work, let him not eat. Yeah. Isn't that the, the law that actually allowed Ruth to glean around the outside yeah. of Boaz's fields in the beginning there. And she worked hard. Yes, yeah, she did. Yeah. That's good. All right. Well, let's let's touch on the topic of sexuality, because many proverbs are actually about sexual relationships. And it actually has quite a bit to say about that. And of course, our culture has lost its ever living mind on that topic. And so um, a lot of Christians who hold to a biblical sexual ethic are being called names. They're being called things like bigot. In fact, I shared this on a recent podcast, and I often share this among students when I speak to them. I, I say to the students, when I was in high school, if I held to a biblical sexual ethic, people might have called me old fashioned. They might have said, you know, you're a goody two shoes. In fact, I think I think I even said this in last week's podcast. Um, but they're being called bigots. They're being told that they're harmful people. They're being told that um, their actual beliefs, not their actions, but their beliefs are harmful to other people. Um, so yeah. with your experience with Proverbs, writing this study and studying Proverbs, how would you begin to talk to somebody who thinks like that, that a Christian sexual ethic is harmful, that it's bigoted, that it's non-inclusive, that it's exclusive or, you know, whatever the words are that they might use? Yeah. Um, I, I asked this question in the book uh, because I think people need to really consider it. When I talk to somebody who uh, says something like that, my big question is, if there is a God, and if that God has something to say about sexuality, would you like to know what it is? Because that takes it back to what's essential, and that is, is there a God? Because if there's a God, then he knows how he created us and he knows what brings blessings. And uh, and that's the big question. Let's talk about, is there a God? Because if there's a God, then we need to find out what he says and we need to find out why he says it. But that's that's the primary, the, the primary question that I think we need to deal with uh, before we get into, oh, I don't like what the Bible says and it must be harmful because it doesn't make me feel good. Well, um, you know, I mentioned that Proverbs kind of touches on all areas of life, sexuality, politics, and it also talks a lot about money. Um, it talks about handling money wisely with the motive of protecting the family. And some Proverbs about money use words that people aren't really familiar with, words like surety. So what is that? When, if people are reading through Proverbs and they come across that word surety, what is that and how does it apply today? Right. Yeah. So many uh, of the Proverbs talk about not taking out surety or not becoming surety for a stranger, for somebody you don't know well. Um, that applies today in a couple of different ways. When I first 
read that word and looked it up in a dictionary and tried to figure it out, I thought all it meant was co-signing. And it does include don't co-sign for somebody that you don't know well. Mm. And don't co-sign if you uh, can't pay back the loan. You know, uh, sadly, right now, a lot of uh, parents are, are taking out loans for their kids' educations when they don't really have the, the means to, to pay it back if the, if the kid doesn't uh, uh, pay it back themselves. But the Proverbs are very clear about not doing things like uh, uh, co-signing a loan when you can't afford to pay it back or co-signing a loan on somebody that you don't know really, really well and trust like a family member. Now, when it comes to um, surety though, it also includes things like contracts. Uh, a couple of decades ago, I started a business and it was a computer consulting business. And at first I thought, I can't do contracts because my clients will all think that I don't trust them. And uh, so I, I'll, I'll just you know, send them bills and et cetera. And then one day, somebody that I'd met through a friend decided to cheat me <laughs> after mm. I'd done the work. Wow. And uh, so I went to the, our mutual friend and said, hey, this guy is now saying he's not going to pay me for the work until he's able to sell the software. That was not our agreement. And he went and talked to the person and the person uh, ended up paying me. And uh, my our mutual friend said he really rebuked him for for doing that and being dishonest in that way. But after that, I thought, I have to have a contract to protect myself. So I bought a book on contracts and started writing contracts. As soon as I handed a client a contract the next time, they said, thank you so much. And it turned out they were feeling insecure that I didn't have a contract either because they weren't sure that I was going to do the work that I was promising to do. And it gave them assurance as well. So contracts are also a way of having an assurance of uh, payment. Mm. So co-signing and contracts are, are two ways of just being, having some kind of surety, having some kind of assurance that you'll get what was promised. Mm. I love how Proverbs just, it's so practical, right? This is, of course, it's practical wisdom, general principle, principles of wisdom, uh, truisms. Um, but one of the Proverbs that I think many women today find discouraging is Proverbs 31. This is the the Proverbs 31 wife. Um, now, now I am not one of those women. I always loved Proverbs 31. One of the reasons I loved it is because she was a businesswoman. She had buff arms. It says her arms were strong for her tasks. I, I loved that growing up. But I do get why some women might be discouraged today because they're thinking, man, she had she just had it all. She did everything. She How am I supposed to live up to this ideal of a woman? Talk about Proverbs 31 and how might you encourage women today as they read Proverbs yeah. 31? Yes. When I was a young wife, uh, I read the verse in there that says her lamp does not go out at night. And I thought, whoa, that must mean that I've got to stay up till very, very late oh, in the wow. night. I tried it for a few days. <laughs> yeah. That was a big mistake, <laughs> but a total, total misunderstanding. Yeah. It, the Proverbs 31 woman, the noble woman, does intimidate a, a lot of women if they don't read it properly and understand it. One, she was wealthy. She had servants on her uh, right. payroll there. So she had a lot of uh, people helping her. Um, and, uh, and, that's, and that's something to, to really take into account there. Uh, nowadays, if we buy our clothes at a uh, store instead of hand sewing them, that's kind of like 
being like the Proverbs 31 woman and, and having um, a servant in a sense, and that somebody else is doing the sewing for us. Uh, we, we, I, no woman who didn't have servants and wasn't wealthy could do everything that she did, but she's still a wonderful model of faith, of caring for the poor, of taking care of her children, of honoring her husband, of, uh, of working hard at whatever she does. So it's a wonderful model for us to uh, aspire to, but it's certainly not something that we could do everything that she did um, without the money and the, uh, and the, the, the help servants. that she's got. <laughs> Yeah. The servants, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The servants really helped her accomplish all of that, I have a feeling. That's great. Yes. Um, so what are your favorite Proverbs about relationships? Proverbs 15.1 would be the, the number one. I, we talked about that one earlier. That would be the um, uh, the soft answer turns away wrath and mm. a harsh word stirs up anger. That is my absolute favorite, no doubt. Mm. Um just a second. I had another one in mind and I'm forgetting it right now. Um, really good one, but I had forgotten it on, uh, right now, so <laughs> that's okay. I, I, yeah. one of my favorites. Um, I love, I love the proverbs that talk about um, mockers because I think we're in a cultural moment right now where there is so much mocking. Of course, we know from scripture that um, I think it's uh, maybe Second Timothy that talks about in the last days that people will become mockers. And I think we see that so much in um, in our culture today. And there's a lesson in here where you even have columns like contrast the mockers and the wise person's re reactions to correction. And in here, you have one of my favorite Proverbs, which is a rebuke impresses a discerning person more than a hundred lashes of fool. I I have tried to live my life by this. When somebody would come, even honestly, Jeannie, when I get real skeptical pushback and real snarky and even mocking pushback from progressives or whoever that might be, one of the things I always try to do is is there any truth in this? I ask myself that question rather than just, ah, pff, you know, blah, I don't care. I always ask myself, okay, is is push past the mocking tone, push past how they're making fun of me or how they're whatever their tone is and just ask, is this true about me? Is what they're saying true? And I always try to do that. And I know that one of the reasons I can approach it that way is because of how steeped in the Proverbs I was as a young child. And so, you know, yeah. if you want to comment on that, just just the, the responses to criticism, okay. The, the cultural moment of mocking that we're in. Proverbs really is powerful in that moment. Oh, I know. It helps a lot because you look, you hear all the mocking and listen to what people are saying about you and to go, okay, scripture foretold that there were going to be people like that, people who, who just simply mock. And uh, that's, that's uh, it, it's very comforting to me to know that that's there. One of the things I like about that verse and many like them, is the whole thing about taking advice. That was really hard for me when I mm. was a uh, young Christian. The, the idea of taking advice, I was super sensitive, didn't have much confidence, and I took advice as being criticism. And that was, that was really bad. Uh, that was very hurtful uh, to me. In fact, I remember when uh, we were just back from the honeymoon, 
I was having trouble remembering to start the vegetables. And so the, veg the main dish would be done <laughs> before the vegetables would die were done. And Clay said, uh, he said uh, one day, he said, did you remember to start the vegetables? And I said, you hate being married to me and wish you never had gotten married. <laughs> I mean, just, it was because I took criticism as, as being, uh, actually, that was just a suggestion even. It was just advice. But I, I took it as being a rejection. And yeah. I had to grow. I had to, to take those proverbs seriously and go, you know what? The proverbs tell me that if I want to be wise, I've got to love advice. If I want to be wise, I need to to embrace advice and I need to embrace the people who are asking me uh, to listen to their advice. But you're you're right. We need when people give us advice, we do need to sit there and go, okay, does this go along with what scripture says? Mm -hmm. uh, is it godly advice or do I need to seek some advice from um, somebody else I, I trust? Uh, as well. And uh, looking for the grain of truth in it, like you said, is, is um, that's, a, that's a really helpful thing to do, a really wise thing to do. Yeah. Well, as we close out here, um, I just kind of want to give you the last word here. How does discovering wisdom in Proverbs help readers engage with Scripture more deeply? And then anything else you want to say? You bet. The one of the things that scripture talks about a lot, I mentioned this earlier, is the fact that we need to meditate on scripture. We need to find ways to really get it into ourselves. And meditation in scripture is not meditation uh, as in the new age way. You're, it's, right. Meditation is repeating the scripture softly to yourself over and over and over again and letting its meaning really fill you. Um, one of the ways that we put into the books that help people to meditate on scripture is the artwork. Um, even those of my friends that don't like to color still like the artwork because it helps them understand and take in the passage more deeply. Uh, we have other kinds of creative ideas in there too. And in this particular book, for those that like creative writing, in every chapter, I added a short poetry lesson so that you can turn uh, a group of proverbs into a poem, if you like, uh, an English style poem, because it's another way to go, okay, I'm going to think about the meaning, and then I'm going to figure out how to put it in as a, a couplet or or something else, something that rhymes perhaps. And so there's there's a little example in every chapter for that, for those who like to be more into creative writing rather than uh, into coloring or something like that. And there's lots of examples in the books of ways to interact with scripture uh, so that it becomes part of you and so that you don't forget it. Very good. Well, I'd like to thank my guest, Jeannie Jones, for joining us on the podcast today. Definitely pick up any one of these wonderful studies. But today we're talking about the new one that's just come out, Discovering Wisdom in Proverbs. Very excited to go through this with my daughter in the fall. And uh, so definitely pick that up. Uh, this podcast is uh, sponsored in part by Southern Evangelical Seminary, where I am a student. I'm thankful to SES for sort of shepherding me through my faith crisis uh, many years ago as I audited classes there. And I'm so thrilled to be a student there now. So go to ses.edu slash Alisa. You can download a free ebook and check out the options that they have there. Again, that's ses.edu slash Alisa. And as we pursue Christ, let's always remember to keep a sharp mind, a soft heart, and a thick skin. We'll see you next time.